Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 23rd program in this series where I'm in John chapter 5. This is the Gospel of John chapter 5 at the end. And in the previous program, I spent a lot of time explaining that Jesus told the Jews, told the religious Jews, that he had four witnesses on his behalf. He had John the Baptist. He had his works themselves. God himself was also his witness, and the scriptures testified of him. And so he did have four witnesses that he could speak of who would testify on his behalf concerning his messianic claims and his assertion that he was God manifested in the flesh, they were confronting him over what they believed was a violation of the Sabbath law, and they only had one witness who could speak against the Lord Jesus. They should have known better than to even talk with Jesus about this issue until they had two or more witnesses who could testify against him. But Jesus speaks about the fact that he does have witnesses who speak on his behalf. And Jesus also explained at the end of chapter 5 that he had two witnesses against them. He himself could be a witness against them, and Moses could be a witness against them. Beginning in verse 39, I'm going to start in verse 39, where it says, You search the scriptures, for in them... You think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. And I will come back to this in a little while. I'd like to proceed right now into verse 41, where it says, I do not receive honor from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. And I explained in the previous program that this was illustrated by them confronting him, the fact that they confronted him over this healing. They have no concern for this man who was healed. They have no concern for the Lord Jesus. They are so focused on the Sabbath law and just wanting to be sure that they don't come within the boundaries of possibly violating the Sabbath law that they are completely ignoring the grace and mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, if this was a divine judgment against this man because of his sin. If it was because of his sin, as was suggested by the Lord Jesus, then this was a divine judgment of God that he have this infirmity for 38 years. Therefore, it would require divine forgiveness and a divine healing for this man to be set free. And the religious Jews here at this time are not considering the love of God when it comes to this. They do not know the love of God, and the love of God is definitely not within them. 
Another way to understand this is that there was no way that God could love them, that they could abide in the love of God. They believed that God would love them if they obeyed the Mosaic law. That's what they believed. That if they were obedient to the commandments that God gave, then he would love them and he would bless them in return. But they would know if they were sincere, if they were committed, they would know that they were not completely obedient to the law of God so that they would earn the love of God. They would know that. Jesus was also busy conducting his ministry, telling people that even though they thought they were impressive, he didn't think so. He wasn't impressed. And what he thought probably mattered when you considered the miracles that he was doing on God's behalf. So again in verse 42, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. They believed that God would only love them if they were successful. Therefore, they would be living with a sense of condemnation from God that he would not love them and so that they would not be abiding in his love. Therefore, they would have no love to give to anyone else. They would not have the love of God within them. Continuing into verse 43, I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. Now, why would they receive someone else who comes in their own name? Well, the main reason why would be because they could easily reject this person. They could easily reject him if they wanted to, because they could just simply assert that God did not send them. If this person, however, spoke in a way that was consistent with what they believed, then they would definitely receive this person because what was being presented, what was being taught through these individuals was compatible with themselves. And so, of course, they are going to receive them, but not because of the truth, not because of the testimony of God, only because there was an agreement Their agreement about what was right or wrong or good or evil or true or false, their agreement concerning this could be wrong. And the fact that there was no assertion that this person was sent by God himself could make this acceptable, could make the error, the tolerance of error, reasonably acceptable. So that through a confrontation later on, such as what they are experiencing now through the Lord Jesus, they could simply change their mind, change their views, change their approach, and God's name would not be defiled. God's name would not be defiled because the person came in his own name, not in the Lord's. This is the way that the people thought at that time. I myself sometimes take that kind of a position where I do hesitate to say something that sounds like, thus saith the Lord. Quite often I will say, I believe. I believe something instead of, this is the way that God has declared. Because I still am a little sensitive to the possibility that I may be wrong. I am comfortable with that. I am comfortable with the fact that I might be wrong on some things and I would like to leave some room for the uncertainty just in case and so that I don't blaspheme the name of God. 
So again, in verse 43, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Well, there are a couple of ways to look at this. One way to look at this is the fact that they may find it easier to obtain or receive or to give honor to one another than to God. They might find it easier. The expectations that they may have of themselves or of others, those expectations might not be as high as the standards that God may hold to. And so that's another way that a person could view this and consider this is that they are not seeking the honor that comes from the only God because they might know that they are not going to get it. So why bother seeking it from God because they know that they will never achieve enough. They will never obey enough. They will never be good enough. And so their only hope of receiving any honor from anyone is through each other, not from God. So again, in verse 44, how can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Well, they are not going to be able to believe because if they did, it would expose their lack of honor. Again, they are not going to be able to believe the truth of God because if they did, the exposure of their dishonor would likely just be too much for them. And so instead of being as committed as they need to be, as sincere as they ought to be, instead of that, all the way to the point where they would eventually concede that they could not obtain honor from God through their own works, through their own repentance and obedience, instead of going all the way, they would come short of it and then turn to one another to gain some sense of comfort from their inadequacies. And the main way, the primary way that religious people will accomplish this is by finding someone else that they can compare themselves with. They need to find someone else who is not as good as they are to step on someone in order to elevate themselves. And this could very well be an issue related to why they are confronting Jesus about healing on the Sabbath day when they don't even have enough witnesses to testify against him. Just the fact that they might be able to find something that Jesus might be in error about, something that they might be able to compare themselves with so that they can say, you know, we're not the ones who would possibly violate the Sabbath law in this way, but you are one of those who might. Therefore, there is more honor with us than there is with you. There is more honor with us. When there isn't, it's just a belief that they have, a perception that they have, that they have assumed for themselves that is not based in reality. Jesus is speaking to them about reality. That's why he says in verse 44, how can you believe? How You can't. You're not going to be able to believe. So even though I am testifying to you about all these things, you're not going to be able to believe. 
because of all the things that you do believe that are in the way. It is all the things that people believe that tend to get in the way of those truths that people really need to believe. And so it's not normally an issue of a lack of belief that people have. It's not as though they have a lack of faith. In most cases, what people are struggling with are all of the things that they do believe that they will have to let go of in order to embrace reality, as Jesus proclaimed. Moving on to verse 45, Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. Now, Jesus could very well be a witness. He could be a witness. He says here that he is not the one that may accuse them to the Father. This is a way of subtly speaking to them about the fact that they only had one witness against him. As he says, Moses will accuse them. Moses will be the witness against them and not himself. That's a way of saying that if they want to come to him with one witness as if that is valid, he can respond and say, well, he's got Moses as a witness. He doesn't even need himself. That is the subtlety of verse 45. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust, the one witness that Jesus has that they say is only necessary, just one, as they were trying to condemn him with their one witness. In verse 46, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Now, there are two things to keep in mind here. The first thing is that they did not believe Moses to the extent that they were not living in obedience to the law as Moses required. In that way, they were not believing Moses. But Jesus also refers to something that Moses said, that Moses spoke about, that they are not willing to believe. Again, in verse 46, for if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Where was it that Moses testified of Jesus? This was in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 and 18. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear according to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see his great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. So again, in verse 16, the assembly said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord, nor see this great fire any more. This is what Jesus is speaking of when he says that they did not have the love of God within them. They did not know their God. They had not seen their God. They had not heard their God. He is testifying 
of what Moses asserted concerning the assembly and that they were definitely a part of the assembly and that this is nothing new. In verse 18, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And then he goes on and he gives the qualifications so that they may know who is a valid or who is a false prophet. But this is the testimony of Moses, and Jesus is asserting the fact that he is the fulfillment of what Moses testified of, of what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 22. And all that Jesus said came to pass. He passed the test concerning Deuteronomy chapter 18, the end of Deuteronomy chapter 18, with regards to how to determine the validity of a prophet. Jesus fulfilled this. And in John chapter 5, verse 46, he says, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, which is what was required of them according to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 19 and 20, that they needed to heed his words. In verse 47, John chapter 5, verse 47, But if you do not believe his writings, How will you believe my words? It was another way of asserting the fact that if they don't know the foundation, those things that God has already had to say, how are they going to know and appreciate those things that he is saying now through the Lord Jesus? How are they going to know? How are they going to understand? when they don't embrace the reality and the truth of what is already there. You know, sometimes I refer to this issue when people are wanting to hear from God. They're wanting to have a moment with God when they hear from Him, when they get clear instruction, clear understanding, when all of a sudden everything will work out and they will know their God as a person just spontaneously, that it will just sort of happen. And yet they have no interest, they put no effort into looking into those things that God has already had to say. Understanding those things that he has already done. To know him as a person through what has already been given to us in the scriptures. It certainly isn't necessary, but it is of great value. So just as Jesus spoke to the people at this time and said, you don't even believe what Moses had to say, and so how can you believe me? So also we should be thinking about that today to the extent that we should know the things that God has already had to say, the things that he's already done, so that we can better embrace and understand the things that he may do, and the things that he may share with us personally and individually today. So now going back up to verse 39, where Jesus said, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. 
but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. It's important to remember that as we study the scriptures, it's important to remember that these testify of a person and that our faith, our belief, our right standing with God, our eternal life is not dependent on the scriptures. It is dependent on the person who is testified of in the scriptures. And so while there is great value and great importance in knowing about the things that God has already said and that he has already done, a mistake that a lot of people make is that they believe that the more they know the things that he has said and the more that they know about the things that he has done, the more scripture that they have been able to memorize, the more time they put into it, the greater dependency they have on it, the more that they may memorize it, the more that they may understand about it or argue or debate about all the possible nuances, all the possible translations, all the possible interpretations, the more that people pursue that, there is the risk that a person may forget to know the person who is testified by all of these things and to have a relationship with the person who is testified of in the scriptures. Now, there is no way that I can explain or teach how to differentiate between the two or how to protect yourself or how to ensure that you don't fall into this trap. There's no way that I can do that. I can only testify of the reality that there are times when people will put a greater dependency on the scriptures for their salvation and for their eternal life than the person of their God, that they can have a greater relationship with the Bible than with the author of it, than with the God who wrote it, the God who is testified of in it. It is very easy to fall into that trap, and I can only mention that it is an issue to be aware of and to do your best to be sensitive to that. And I am confident that with a sincere heart, your God will help you work your way through that. In addition to that, I would also like to mention something about verse 40, John chapter 5, verse 40, where he says, But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. The way that Jesus said this emphasizes the issue of life, emphasizes the issue of the life of God that will remain within you eternally. He does not say forgiveness, and yet forgiveness tends to be the issue of preeminence with most believers, with most Christians. And of course, it is of great importance. Forgiveness is necessary for us to be able to have salvation. But I want you to think about this in verse 39 and 40. If we were to substitute life with forgiveness, it would say, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal forgiveness. And these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have forgiveness. That's not what it says, but this is how a lot of people relate to their God, relate to their faith. They relate to him in the context of forgiveness. 
But forgiveness is not salvation. Forgiveness is necessary to make salvation possible, but it is not salvation. Salvation is being saved from being dead. Everyone is born into this world spiritually dead, without the life of God within them, without the Holy Spirit. It is necessary to have forgiveness so that when God restores this life, we go to Jesus for life. As he said, you need to come to me so that you may have life. We go to him for life. And when he gives us life, when he resurrects us through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, we need to have complete forgiveness. Because if there is any sin that is left unforgiven, that sin, according to the law of sin and death, would cause the life to depart from within us and it would not be eternal. That's the connection between forgiveness and the restoration of the Holy Spirit or the restoration of life. And I would just like to point that out concerning verses 39 and 40, John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40, that it is the life of God that we are to go to Jesus to obtain. Thankfulness for his forgiveness, but we go to him to be made alive. And I will continue with this in the next program. Thank you for listening. This program is the 23rd program in the verse-by-verse study on the Gospel of John, where I spoke about John chapter 5, verses 39 through 47. And in this program, I emphasized some of the subtleties that exist in these verses where Jesus was speaking to the people in ways that they would understand because of the way that they approached Jesus in this conflict. I also spent some time talking about the testimony of Moses and what Jesus meant when he told the people that Moses would be a witness against them. I also spent a little bit more time talking about the importance of coming to Jesus for life, for eternal life, and what that means in the light of forgiveness. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,